It's a pleasure to be with you again. My name is Jason Dexter, and today I am excited because we are going to begin a new Bible study, this time in the book of Philippians. This is one of my favorite epistles. It is only four chapters long, but these four chapters are packed with spiritual truth, which can transform our lives. One of the key themes of the book of Philippians is to press on in the faith, to forget what is behind and to look forward to what is ahead, to press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call. To press on, it is about Christian growth. Now, wherever you are on the journey, whether you're a pastor of 50 years or whether you're a new believer, then Philippians contains very useful biblical truth for you to help you take the next step in your walk with the Lord. As normal when we study a book in the Bible, we are not just looking at what are the doctrinal truths, although that is very important. We want to study those. But we also want to find how do we apply these truths to our lives now in the 21st century. So that will be our focus as we study through this book. <clears throat> Today we're going to look at Philippians 1, 1 through 18. Because of the length of the passage, I will just read it in sections and we will discuss each section. So the first section is in verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the book of Philippians was written by Paul. Paul normally uh, identifies himself as the writer very early on in the book, and it is a way to establish credibility with the audience so that they know this is an apostle who wrote these things to them. They should listen up and pay attention, and we should as well. Now, Philippians is another of the prison epistles. <coughs> These were written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Now, numerous references are made to his imprisonment as well as to the Praetorian Guard. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 13 says that it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So Paul, while he was in prison, actively shared with many guards and even part of Caesar's own household. It tells us this in Philippians 4.22. So likely, although Paul was in prison, this was not what we might consider a prison to be. It probably was not a dungeon, at least at this point. It was more likely some kind of house arrest. And he had some amount of freedom for people to come and visit him like Onesimus did uh, who, in the book of Philemon and Luke and others. So this book was written to the people who were in Philippi. And Philippi was a Greek city, but it was a city that was a Roman colony and they were very proud of their Roman citizenship uh, it was in Greece, but its government was modeled after Italian towns. And some of the things that took place in Philippi, there was a demon-possessed slave girl there. She was a fortune teller who followed Paul around for several days, and that led to him getting irritated. And if you remember, he cast out the demon, and then this caused a big ruckus, and the owners of this fortune teller had Paul and Silas thrown into prison. 
in the middle of the night as they were singing praise songs, there was an earthquake and their chains fell off. The doors were opened. Paul later shared with a jailer who became a believer together with all of his household. Later, the leaders of the city wanted Paul to leave secretly once they realized he was a Roman and they were imprisoning him illegally. Uh, he basically said that they needed to come to him publicly uh, because he shouldn't be treated that way as a Roman citizen. Now, the tone of Paul's letter is very positive. We see that tone starting in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in this epistle, Paul mentions very few negative things about them. They are a church that is doing well, unlike the Corinthians who were filled with all kinds of problems and strongly rebuked by Paul. But although they're doing well, notice that Paul doesn't ignore them or assume that they would just continue doing well. He wrote them to encourage them to keep pressing on to even greater heights. Now, as for application, we can learn from this. It's important for us not to grow complacent with our spiritual level, either with ourselves or with those that we teach. Doing well yesterday does not guarantee that we would do well today. Now, Paul realized this. Even though the Philippian church was doing quite well, he continues to encourage them to keep on doing well and doing even better. So growth requires perseverance and dedication. Now let's get into the meat of the letter. Verses 3 through 11 is largely a prayer by Paul for the Philippians. And this is what it says. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a beautiful, beautiful prayer this is, and we can get so much out of it. Now, Paul may not have been able to do the kind of ministry he had done before. Paul liked to travel from city to city, for church planting and discipleship and face-to-face -face mentoring. But he was now in prison. And this didn't allow him to do his normal travels. But yet it didn't discourage from doing his work. Where there is a will, there is a way. Now Paul had the will to do ministry no matter what circumstances were in front of him. So he found a way. He wasn't free to go where he wanted, but he could share to the people around him, and he did. And besides that, he could write letters to the people to the places where he couldn't go. And he could pray for all of those that he ministered to. I think we can learn a lot from Paul in his example here. He was in prison, but he wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't just, you know, becoming discouraged and depressed and then not doing anything. He didn't make any excuses for not reaching out to others. 
he could have become focused on himself and his own problems. That would have been natural for him to expect uh, others to care for him and to pray for him. He could have looked back on his long ministry and rested on his laurels, but he didn't. Even in prison, he sought ways to reach out. So for us, whether you have some sickness or a disability or you're being persecuted or whatever is your age or your gender or anything else, none of these are reasons to stop doing the ministry that God calls us to. Serving God, even when it is difficult, is what we are called to do. And there are many challenges to that. And when we do that, when we serve God, even when there are challenges, this can be a great inspiration to others, just as it was with Paul. If you have the desire to share the gospel, there's always an opportunity. If you can't speak, then write. If you are blind, then you can still speak. If you're on a plane, share with the person next to you. They can't get away. If you're in a park, you can share with the lonely, elderly people. If your parents don't want to see you, then write. People have a lot of excuses for not sharing the good news. Some of them include, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. They will not listen to me. I'm busy. I'll do it later. I don't have many opportunities. I am nervous or scared. Well, Paul had a good reason too, if there were any good reasons. He was wrongfully imprisoned. He was thrown into prison for sharing the good news, but that didn't stop him. And we would do well to remember Paul's statement in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God's word is powerful, and it will not return void. And God always likes to choose people who are weak, people who have seemingly good reasons for not going because when God uses the weak people as his instruments, then it gives him even more glory. Now in Exodus 3, Moses made many of these same excuses. Uh, I don't know what to say. I'm not very good at talking. Uh, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't know who you are? Um, and I don't want to go. And several other things he said. To every one of them, God's basic reply was, I will be with you. God will be with you too. His word is powerful. So open your mouth and tell of his deeds in songs of joy, as it says in Psalms 107.22. So we see that even in prison, Paul was praying for others, he was writing to others, he was active in ministry. Let's take a look at his prayer, and we see that he is very active in prayer. In almost every one of his letters, it is evident that he consistently prays for those he ministers to. It's important for us also to follow his example in consistently praying for those we reach out to. Paul says, Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Do we pray for others like that? Sometimes we think about maybe our students or our children and we get maybe frustrated with how things are going. Are you praying for them? How about if you have a Bible study for the members in your Bible study or the members of your church or your Sunday school class or those you are mentoring or discipling? Are you praying for them? Are you praying for your spouse? Are you praying for your church? Are you praying for your church's missionaries? There are so many people that we need to be praying for. Why was Paul's ministry so effective? Was it his method? Well, probably partly. 
Was it his education level? It didn't help, although God, I mean, it didn't hurt, although God used others with a lower education level, like Peter and John, who were fishermen. Was it God's blessing? That's the main reason. God blessed it. Why did God bless him? Perhaps one reason is that he was a man of prayer. God uses prayer to accomplish great things. So, do you pray regularly for the people you share with, for your co-workers, for your family and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ? I hope that you will. What can we learn from Paul's prayer? Well, he didn't take God's answers for granted. He prayed with thanksgiving and he realized it was God's work in their lives and he was grateful for that work. In verse 6, it says, I'm sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Paul realized that it was God who was answering prayer, that it was God who was the one doing this work. Yes, God could use Paul as his instrument. God could use Paul's writings. But in the end, it was God's work in their heart and in their life. And that's a key element of prayers, that we need to be humble and realize that it is God who changes hearts. As a father, I'm becoming, I think, more and more aware of this over the years as I endeavor to teach my children the things of God and to teach my children the Word of God. And yet I see that I cannot change their heart or their minds. This is only something that God can do. Now we see also that Paul was joyful. <clears throat> he made his prayer for them with joy. And that means he cared deeply for the Philippians. It wasn't just a job or a routine for him. They weren't just a number or a statistic on his journal. He cared about them like a father and a close friend. When they were successful, he was excited. When they failed, it would have concerned him. He had an, an emotional attachment to them. And this is very important when we are seeking to minister to others that we care for them. Paul also said in the book of Romans to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who who weep. Now, what kind of things did Paul pray for? We see that primarily he prayed for their spiritual growth. He prays for <clears throat> their love to abound still more and more. Let's have a look at that in verse 9. It's my prayer. So here he says his specific prayer that your love may abound more and more. Okay. He also prays for their knowledge and he prays for their discernment. He prays that they will approve the things that are excellent. He prays for their purity and their holiness. He prays for things that are so important and so meaningful. He doesn't. It, no mention is made of prayers for their careers or their health or their long life or their exams. Not that he never prayed for those things. In James, we're commanded to pray for the sick. We should pray for these things. Jesus said, uh, pray for our daily bread, for example. But Paul also realizes that the physical things of day-to-day -day life that occupy so much of our minds are not actually the most important things. When you look at Paul's prayer, you'll see he prays deep, meaningful, spiritually rich prayers for the people. His prayers are about their wisdom and their love and the fruit of the Spirit and the grace in their lives and their zeal for the gospel, their character growth, for their humility, for their selflessness, for their servanthood. So many deep and rich prayers.
What's the application for us? Well, let's consider our own prayer life. What's the main content of your prayer life? Now, for many people, prayers might be more temporal in nature, focused on temporal needs. But we learn from Paul and other men and women of Bible, uh, of prayer in the Bible, that our prayers need to go deeper. Paul's prayers focused on the most important things, character and spiritual growth. So by all means, pray for the sick, pray for the weak, pray for the poor, pray for health and strength and provision. But go deeper, go beyond this. Plead with God for character growth for your children. Don't just pray for their schooling, pray for their character. Ask God to turn weaknesses into strengths. Identify areas of shortcoming and pray for growth in these areas. Spend some time to evaluate the type of things you normally pray for. And make sure that your prayers are reflecting God's heart and not your own. Paul also prays that their strengths would become even stronger. In other words, he wasn't content that they were doing well. He wanted them to reach on forward and upward. We see this here in verse 9. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So he doesn't say, oh, you're not loving. I pray that you will be loving. They were loving. He prays that they will be even more loving. And that's the type of prayer that he prays for them. The Philippian church was doing well. Sometimes our prayers tend to focus on those who are not doing well. Someone in our life is struggling and we pray for them. Great, but don't forget to pray for those who are doing well too because they have a target on their backs. So no matter how good you are at something, there's always room for growth. No one is perfect. Even in one area, we are not perfect. So don't become complacent. That's the theme of Philippians we'll see as we go into chapter 3. Press on toward the prize. So don't be complacent with the level that we are at. We should also ask God that we will abound more and more in love and in grace. Excuse me. Now we also see in this passage Paul's deep care and his close bond to the Philippians. This gives us a good example of the kind of fellowship we should have with others. They were Paul's spiritual children, but they were still able to encourage Paul through their willingness to put into practice what he taught. And they were co-participants in the gospel. They worked together with him to share the gospel. And he says that in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul has a close bond with them. Now, no matter if you are a new believer or a teacher of many years, you can have good fellowship with others. You can come alongside them, you can work, and you can strengthen each other. Paul strengthened the Philippians, but the Philippians also strengthened and encouraged Paul. So don't think just because you're maybe you're a new believer, you might think you don't have a lot to offer. You do. You do. Every believer is gifted by God with exactly what they need to build his kingdom, how he wants it to be built. We also see again in his prayer that he is very God-focused. He recognizes that it is God's grace working in them. Again, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. 
All of the good qualities which they had were the result of God's work in their lives. Paul knew it wasn't due to his to himself. He knows God is going to finish the work that he began. And this shows our salvation is God's initiative. He's the beginning and the end. He is the source and the finisher of our spiritual life. Our spiritual life comes from him and he is the one who perfects it and he is the one who uh, will give us a holy and glorified body one day in heaven as he finishes it. This gives us eternal security and confidence knowing God started a good work in you. He's not just going to abandon you. When you sin or fall short, he won't just throw you to the side. If your child makes a mistake on his homework, you don't just shut him out of the house and lock him and say, you're on your own from now on. You still educate him and teach him and care for him and love him. And when he makes mistakes, you forgive him. And God does that for us. Sanctification is his work in our lives. So he started it in the fact that he started it when you were worse than what you are now. Okay, if you're a believer, you are better in some way surely than what you were when you first became a believer because he's sanctifying you. He saved you when you were an unbeliever, when you were a sinner, when you were going your own way. And if he saved you and if he loved you then, then surely he can continue to protect your salvation and surely he will continue to love you right now. So this is a beautiful prayer from Paul in verses 3 through 11. So many rich things that he's praying for the Philippians. Now I'm going to go forward and look at the last section of this from verse 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now Paul practiced what he preached. He often taught others to be joyful and to not complain and to trust God in all circumstances, to realize that God is sovereign over everything. One of the places he taught this was Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul told the Romans, even in difficulties, God is using those difficulties to accomplish his purposes in your life and through you. So rejoice and have faith and trust in God and serve him. He practices what he preaches. Here in Philippians, he explains how in his imprisonment, the gospels advance. So he's not just, oh, poor is me, woe is me, I'm in prison, I can't do the things I wanted to do. No, he's looking at how God is using these to accomplish good in the church, even though it's through his own personal difficulty. So he is practicing what he preached. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18 He said, give thanks in all circumstances. 
give thanks in all circumstances. And that's what he's doing here. He is giving thanks. He doesn't just say that because it is always others in trouble. He faced way more than his average share, but he didn't complain. He was joyful in the prison in Philippi, and he was still joyful in the prison in Rome. Why could he have such a positive attitude? Well, his chief goal was for the gospel to be spread. We see that again and again in verses 12 through 18. This was his goal. It says, What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul recognized that him being in prison actually advanced the gospel cause. And that was his goal, was for the gospel to advance. So he realized this is a good thing. And he praised God for it. We should also be trained by this. When you're facing difficulties or trials, look for the silver lining. Look for the purpose. Look for what God is trying to accomplish through this situation in your life. Maybe he wants to grow your own character, your patience, your perseverance, your humility, or your faith. Maybe he wants to use your testimony in this difficulty to reach out to others. So don't focus on the negative things or become a complainer. If you complain, who are you complaining against? If it's cold and wet in the winter and I'm complaining against God, I'm complaining about the weather, then that's actually a complaint against God. If I complain that my baby wakes up in the middle of the night, I'm also complaining against God because he allowed it to happen, probably to build up my patience. God has a reason for everything. So, he had a reason for Paul to be in prison. Now, what are the concrete benefits for Paul for being imprisoned as far as the gospel goes? Well, there was more time for prayer, and he obviously used it to pray for the churches. Prayer is a very important and valuable use of time. There was also more time for writing the epistles. He wrote several of the epistles while he was in prison. And if he wasn't in prison, he probably would have visited them directly. And then we wouldn't have these letters to read and study and learn from today. Paul's life in prison was also a testimony because others at that time and until now could look to him as an example and say, wow, Paul can be bold even when he's in prison. Paul can be joyful even when he's in prison. Paul can serve God even when he is in prison. I can too. Now we have modern day examples of this. Uh, you probably are familiar with Jim Elliott, who he and his friends gave their lives to reach the Quechua Indians. Probably I pronounced that wrong, sorry. It sparked a movement of missionaries around the world. When they died, the newspaper said, oh, what a waste. These young men, they had their whole life in front of him. They wasted their lives going to this faraway uh, tribe who didn't even want them. And yet their death sparked a movement of missionaries around the world. And others went back to the same tribe, and many from that same tribe who killed them later became believers. So we need to always be joyful, take advantage of the opportunities we have. Our reaction can influence others as well. Now Paul being in prison also gave him more new opportunities to share with the people around him there in Rome. People who would have been very difficult to share with under normal circumstances. His prison mates, uh, guards, perhaps even Nero. Uh, we don't have any direct evidence of it, but Paul appealed to Caesar. Nero was likely the Caesar at the time. And in all other cases, when Paul appeared before judges in the book of Acts, he shared the good news. 
he probably did so before the emperor as well. It would have given him more time for meditation in his own walk with the Lord, and he had more chances to mentor his co-workers through letters like Timothy and Titus. So there were a number of positive benefits to Paul being in prison. Now, we can see those fairly clearly now. It would have been harder for him to see it in the middle when he was in the midst of that suffering. So when you're facing trials, try to take a step out and see what is God trying to accomplish through this. So in verse 13, we see that uh, through Paul's imprisonment, the whole imperial guard heard the good news. Um, and so Paul was able to share with these people who would not have had an opportunity to hear otherwise. And he says in verse 14, Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So it emboldened all believers throughout that uh, area of where the churches were. They heard Paul was in prison and Paul was still joyful. He was still writing letters. He was still being used by God. And they thought, hey, guess it's not so bad. We can do the same thing too. And it emboldened them that they wouldn't be so afraid of persecution that they would shut their mouths and not spread the gospel. Now, this is all relatively expected that a good testimony can inspire others. Something weird also happened. Verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. So some were preaching about Christ through some wrong motivations. Perhaps they had a, a quest for personal recognition. They wanted to become famous like Paul. Perhaps they wanted to be popular among the saints. Or maybe they wanted a feeling of power or earning favor with God or maybe financial gain. Paul didn't agree with their motivations, to be sure, but he was happy that the gospel was going out through their preaching, people could be saved. God looks at the heart. God will not reward someone who has the wrong motivations. Jesus said they already have their reward in full, and that is they will be respected or appreciated by men. But as long as the message was true, then people could hear it and have the opportunity to be saved. Now, we need to ask ourselves if we have the right motivation for sharing the good news. Some use religion throughout history. People have used religion because of its power for their own ends. Many in the Middle Ages, the Crusades, and these, many of these things were the result of powerful leaders using religion to try to accomplish their own political purposes. We need to be wary of that and others. And we also need to look at our own motivations and ask, why are we doing these things? Why are you serving in the church? Why are you serving in the choir? Why are you serving as a pastor or a Bible study teacher? Why am I doing these things? We need to make sure that our motivation is the right one. And what's the right one? Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So you do it out of love? Great. Verse 17, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So some do it out of love, others do it through selfish ambition, and in fact they even had some kind of a rivalry, although Paul wasn't part, but they thought they had a rivalry with Paul to try to get more famous or popular or what have you. But Paul says, hey, the gospel is going out, God will use that, 
Even if the seed isn't planted properly or in the correct manner, that seed could still grow and bear fruit. So what is the application for us from this passage? Well, there's a lot. Uh, first of all, we need to pray for others. And when we pray, we need to pray with thanksgiving and to pray with joy and to pray deep, meaningful, spiritual prayers. Not just pray for the physical, temporal things from day to day, but pray for the deep, spiritual character things. And also, when we are in the middle of trials, we need to remember that like with Paul in prison, God can use these trials for our good and use us in those trials to inspire others or to serve Him in that place. So rather than becoming discouraged and pessimistic, we can ask ourselves, what is God teaching me? And how does God want to use me in the midst of this trial? And third, we need to share the good news in season and out of season whenever we have the opportunity just like Paul. He was in prison, but he still shared. He still prayed for others. He still wrote letters. He shared with his guards. We need to be faithful to share the gospel. Are you regularly sharing the gospel? When was the last time you shared with someone? Spend a few minutes to think about who in your circle you can pray for. Maybe the first step is to pick one and start praying for them. Write down three or four or five names of people you know who don't know Jesus. Are you willing to commit and pray for those people regularly? Can you make an appointment with one of them this week and share with them about Christ? Let's take the lessons we learned in the first part of Philippians here and take them out and apply them into the world as we pray for others, we care for others, and we share the gospel and we build God's kingdom even when it is difficult. I hope this lesson encouraged you and I invite you to join us next time for the next passage in Philippians chapter 1. God bless you. See you then.